Today, John Skull's hosting always, and joining me, Sam Fury with Jamarkin LLP, representing Stan Fainzelberg is back at it. You want to uh, reach out to Stan anytime. In fact, we're going to get uh, through a bunch of email on the show today. That's kind of going to be our focus, help at employmentlawyer.ca, help at employmentlawyer.ca. The website you can always use for more information, and uh, even before the phone call to Stan outside the hour of the show is simple. That's pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. Ask your questions don't be bashful. There is no dumb ones, only smart ones. And you're uh, helping everybody else who's listening to the show today as well, if uh, you want to make that call. So before we get into our email, Stan, let's get to the uh, week that was your thought of the day, pal. What's going on? Yeah, absolutely, John. Good morning. Uh, mm. Well, I came across a case actually that talks about an issue that we bring up frequently all the time here, which is not just cause, but the idea of progressive discipline and the fact that you need to, in almost every circumstance, have a clear pattern of escalating warnings and discipline before you can actually get to cause. And in this particular case, what it was, uh, what had happened was uh, an employee who was actually a teacher for a college for about seven years. Uh, in he was teaching throughout the 2018-2019 year, and there was a new chair, academic chair, who was leading the department. And there were any number of issues that kind of came up with this employee. And these were not small, minor transgressions that we see kind of in the workplace every day. These were things that were very clearly inappropriate. Just to give you a few examples, you know, he was physically removing students' hats. He was, for some reason, playing with the clocks in the, uh, in the rooms for his, uh, it relates to some sort of personal agenda. Uh, he had very clear, you know, communications where he was dis- very disrespectful of the academic chair. And he was, and many of his colleagues, students were complaining that he just was treating ch- uh, students like children, essentially. And this was well known, really, even at the beginning of the academic year. But as I mentioned, because of the way he was treating the academic chair, that individual just didn't want to deal with this person. And by halfway through the end of the academic year, right around Christmas time, they make the decision that this guy cannot stay around and they're going to terminate him. But the, but unfortunately for the college, they don't tell him that. They never actually bring up any of these issues to him because they don't want to deal with him. And they keep him around until the end of the academic year, until the end of the spring, essentially, to ensure that there's not too much disruption to the students. And then they get to the end of the year and they fire him for cause for all of these very serious transgressions. So he brings an action for wrongful dismissal, and notwithstanding the fact that, and the court acknowledges this, that these were serious uh, transgressions, serious conduct that cumulatively could amount to cause. But the problem here was that they just didn't warn the individual and didn't give him a chance to respond whatsoever. And that alone was fatal to their case, to the college's case, and and amounted to no possibility of getting a just cause uh, award. And in fact, the the court specifically states that they they have no no really opinion that Mr. Cumberland, the employee, would have changed his behavior. They actually say, given the rigidity of Mr. Cumberland's mindset, I find it unlikely he could have adequately addressed these concerns, even if he was properly advised. So they acknowledge this was not going to change very likely. But then it goes on to say, however, he was never given that chance. And he is therefore entitled to the benefit of the doubt. For these reasons alone, 
I do not accept that the college has met its burden to establish cause. So, you know, this case, again, highlights something that we speak to all the time on this show, which is the importance and necessity of progressive discipline. It's not enough that an individual is engaged in certain behavior, at least not in, in situations where we're not talking about the most egregious types of behavior. If we're talking about things like fraud, uh, things like theft, that can in itself as a single incident amount to cause. But when we're talking about things like, you know, like the issues that were brought up in this case, yes, these are serious, but there's no reason to believe as well that had the individual not been warned, you know, in a, maybe another individual, not this particular individual, that they couldn't change. And that's the entire purpose of progressive discipline, John. It's to give the person that opportunity to change the behavior. And when they don't, then you can establish that the relationship is irreparable and you can establish that you have cause. So that employer, how early should they have gotten on this and what steps should have been right off the hop? Had they called you and said, okay, Stan, here's the issue with this guy doing stuff with the clocks, which is weird. But um, what would you, what would your advice off the hop have been early steps? Well, in, the first piece of advice that I get would give them is documentation and talking to them about it. I mean, that's all it's, very clear that you have to give the individual, even if you believe everything that's being said, at the end of the day, you have to give that person an opportunity to respond to it. Because if they don't respond, you don't have the full story. That's just the reality. You know, he's obviously involved heavily in yeah. the conduct. So you need to get his side of the story, even if it turns out to just verify everything you understood you know, that came before it. So mm -hmm. documentation, and just, again, progressive discipline, going through the motions of, okay, well, here's a written letter. You know, you need to stop doing this. And let's say he didn't stop. Okay, well, here's an, maybe you go to a second written letter. Maybe mm -hmm. you go to a suspension at that point. Right. You know, and even after probably two, three steps, then you can go to, to the final step of, okay, this is definitely not working out. Uh, we need to terminate for cause. And, and I have some sympathy here, John, for the employer as well, because you can understand that, you know, they're dealing with a person who's a teacher teaching a class. If they remove that person from the class, you know, all the students are really the ones that suffer most. That's right. And it was a difficult decision. You can understand why they made the decision to wait and uh, let the year play out before terminating the individual. Uh, but ultimately, you just can't do that in the circumstances of cause. And frankly, there was, if that's the route they wanted to go, there was probably a better way to have handled it. You know, they could have just told them that they weren't going to renew his, uh, bring him back next year and given them working notice and say, Hey, work out the year, go find a new job. Yes. It, you know, maybe they doesn't give them that opportunity to allege cause and it doesn't leave that same kind of, uh, feeling that they've done something that they you know need to as a school and to address these concerns but it gets them out of their situation it, it accomplishes you know it, it gives the individual what his entitlements would ultimately be and you know it removes him at the end of the year from the classroom and likely would have resulted in no lawsuit here as well it's uh, interesting stuff. Again, anytime you need to reach out to Stan uh, for your private matter, I'll give you that number, one 821 5900 But here and now, still lots of time to call into the show and ask some questions. But I did mention the uh, the pile of email. We want to try to uh, whittle down a little bit here, Stan, on the show today. <laughs> we'll get to Whitney first one before we uh, take a short break. Here says, guys, it was terminated, and I believe it's because my manager hates me and forced the company to get rid of me. Can she do that? So really, there's two ways, I think, of looking at this question, John. The first, you know, 
one way is, well, how, you know, how serious is the conduct of the manager and how much are we really talking about? Because is it just interpersonal issues that were you know, between two colleagues who can't get along, which, you know, is something that goes on pretty much every day in every workplace, if I'm being honest. People, and I say this to clients all the time, you know, you, your employees and your colleagues, but you don't, no one forces you to be friends. You're there to work together. But obviously, if it raises to a level some above that, if we're talking about a toxic environment where the manager is truly making this person's uh, workplace inhospitable, you know, degrading them, maybe even rising to the level of harassment, then that could amount to a constructive dismissal. And that could uh, allow you to leave and claim, no, that in fact was a termination because you company allowed this manager to foster this toxic environment that's led to all these issues. And that was essentially a termination. So really, I think you have to delve deeper into well, what level of harassment or what level of issues between these two people are we're talking about. And then depending on what the answer is, you know, then her options present themselves to her. And that's a good uh, quick answer for Whitney. Uh, Whitney, again, anytime you want to reach out, you can do so by phone. We'll take a short break and in a lot more of your email, help at employmentlawyer.ca. We'll continue this edition of the Employment Law Show. Stand by. Alrighty, welcome back. John Scholes and Stan Fainselberg, Sam Firu, Tamarkin, LLP. He is a lawyer answering all of your questions, does all the heavy lifting on the show here each week. And you can always reach out to Stan, help at employmentlawyer.ca, the email address, and the website pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. You will have access to that website. It's free, of course. It's anonymous to the uh, severance calculator at pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. It does exactly what it's designed to do, calculate severance, the real number, what it should be, give you a fair idea of what you're looking at if you uh, follow through with Stan with a phone call a little later on. And actually, uh, millions of Canadians, honestly, millions, that number, you know, six zeros plus, have uh, have used it and checked it out. So again, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. But Reed is up next. Stan says, uh, guys who work in security and have been working at the same condo for over 20 years, during that time, there have been three property management companies whom I've worked for, with the last one coming in about two years ago. They're now terminating me and treating me as if I've only been employed there for two years. Do they have to consider my previous years of service with the other companies? What do you think, Stan? Yeah, Reed. Uh, not only do they have to, from a, I mean, from a common law perspective, because really you're just going working for the same company with three different employers who pay you, probably, you know, without knowing the details, probably a very minimal involvement from my experience with the actual employment relationship here. But our statute actually addresses this problem explicitly because it saw, you know, this is a common thing where condos, other buildings change property management companies all the time. And, but the employees are often asked to stay because they have experience, they have knowledge, they know the individuals in, at the buildings themselves. And so they, there's a lot of reasons that the property management company coming in wants that employee to stick around. And to address this, our Employment Standards Act specifically says that if there's a change in property management companies, the new property management company has to recognize the previous years of service and takes on the statutory entitlements uh, upon termination as well. So for Reed, there's no question that they have to do it uh, because our statute basically says that. And if, if they're not doing that, Reed, then your company is basically giving you an illegal offer and you need to call us uh, during the week and discuss it with one of our lawyers. 
Reed, appreciate that. And always, you can reach out, pal, through the uh, through the phones. I know you'll probably end up doing that and talking to Stan anyway. Now that you've heard your email and got a quick answer on air, 416-870-6400. That's the call the station now. And talk to us if you're listening to the show, just like uh, Reed was. Tatha, coming up next on email. Again, help at employmentlawyer.ca. Says, Stan, my employer refused to give me a raise. Can I quit and use constructive dismissal? So this is a question I, I get a lot, John. And unfortunately, the reality is that nobody is legally entitled to a raise. There is no law, statute, common law decision that more or less says that. Um, and so if your employer is not giving you a raise, then that can never be a constructive dismissal because it's not something you have a fundamental entitlement to. And it can't be, a, you know, by, in essence, a breach of contract. So this is really not, you know, as I tell clients all the time, this is not an employment issue. This is a bargaining and negotiation issue. And every employee needs to come to the realization that they have to bargain for themselves and get the best deal they can for themselves because there is no one else who will do that for them. Uh, and so in this situation, what I would tell Tath is, if you're not happy where you are, you are with what your employer is offering you, the best way to get that raise is to go to another place, get another offer with the, with the money you want, and assuming you want to stay at the employer you're with, go back and tell them to match it or you'll leave. Because again, this is not an employment law issue. This is really about bargaining and negotiation. Zach, thanks for taking the time. How are you, pal? How are you? Good. What's on your mind? Uh, well, I know um, you guys don't do uh, union issues, but I was just wondering if I can get some advice on what I can do myself. Um, the company I used to work for laid me off about a year ago. And uh, they gave me recall rights for up to three years. But recently, I wanted to give up my recall rights because uh, I was under the impression, well, they actually told me that I was owed severance if I do. But now that I'm trying to give it up, apparently, I'm not owed any severance because I haven't worked there for the minimum uh, minimum of five years. So I was just wondering what I could do. Well, what they're talking about, Zach, is the statutory severance portion of it, which basically, uh, to, to get to statutory severance, you have to be there for five years and the company has to have a payroll of at least $2.5 million. But even if you've been there for under five years, you're still entitled to notice or termination pay. And so I'm assuming if you've been there for something like four years, you're still entitled to four weeks. But the problem again here is that you're a unionized employee, and that's and so your rights are curtailed by the union collective agreement. Now, the Employment Standards Act still applies to unionized employees, and that's just because they lay you off, you know, they still have to comply with the statute, and the statute says they're not allowed to lay you off for a period of over 35 weeks uh, unless you consent to it. After 35 weeks, you actually have the right to elect and treat the layoff as a termination, and you can tell them that now. What what that means in terms of an actual package for you, that's more difficult because you don't have the right to, I mean, you could try and negotiate that package, but you don't have any uh, avenues for remedy. You can't go to court. You can't bring a grievance yourself without the union. And really, you know, the in that kind of situation, what usually happens is they just pay you your minimum entitlements. And that's that's essentially what you're entitled to and get. Okay, uh, well, that helped out quite a bit. Uh, I appreciate that. Thank you. 
Thanks, Zach. Appreciate Good. it, pal, Thank and uh, appreciate the uh, appreciate the call. I'm going to bounce over to Ike's email in the meantime. It says, guys, my employer wants to get rid of my annual bonus because they're saying they cannot afford to pay it any longer. This is a huge part of my compensation, about a third, and I can't afford my, to lose this myself, afford to lose this money. Is there anything I can do about it? Yeah. So when it comes to bonuses, Ike, there's a, the, the way the courts look at it is by asking a couple of questions. And the first starting point is, is the bonus an integral component of a person's compensation? And there's no definition of what integral is, but it usually comes down to a percentage of money. So if you're telling us that it's about a third of your total comp, yeah, that's pretty integral. That's obviously a huge chunk and, and would form a pretty integral form of compensation that you expect from the employer. Uh, and, and in that situation, because it is integral and it constitutes a fundamental breach in this particular circumstance, you can treat it as a constructive dismissal, walk away and say, you owe me severance because you've terminated me by refusing to pay me an annual bonus that I am legally entitled to. So absolutely, Ike, there's something you can do about it. You have to make a decision though. And the best way to make that decision is to give us a call, talk to a lawyer, discuss your options in more depth, have that knowledge, and then make the decision with all with your eyes wide open. Appreciate it, Ike. You know how to follow up with that phone call, 1-855-821-5900. Denissa, thank you for taking the time to uh, call today. How are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? Great. What's on your mind? So uh, last year, I was uh, planning on returning to work after Matt leave, and uh, I received an update from my, my employer that they had added some additional um, responsibilities to my job title. I had been asked if, if I would be getting a raise for those additional responsibilities, and they said no, that my raise would just be at the end of the year like everybody else's. So because of that, I I decided to go and find another job. I just want to know if if that's if that's legal. Um, if I can fight back in any way. If I should be entitled to something from that company. So when you say they're adding duties, can you kind of give me an idea of well, how much is your job changing? Because really, it comes down to did they make some minor changes or did they make a fundamental change and just change your job completely? So the change, they had added a responsibility that previously was done by, um, I guess, the the next level up from my okay. job. Yeah. But, so, but how much would that add to you in terms of your workload, your time commitments? Uh, probably an additional uh, maybe 20 to 25%, plus it required training, all of that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you're talking about that, first of all, I mean, it sounds like they're increasing your workload, right? If you're yeah. talking about just taking 25% extra work on top of what I assume is a full-time 40-hour job, yeah. you know, the obvious question, you know, it, it, they don't have to give you that raise. That's true. But they do have to give you overtime pay if you're working overtime hours. And if they refuse to do that, that's a violation of the statute. The other way to look at this is to consider whether it's a constructive dismissal because, you know, obviously increasing someone's workload by 25%, that's a, that's a fundamental issue. That's a lot of extra time commitment without pay, as you indicated. So 
that that itself can amount to a constructive dismissal and it would allow you to go after the employer and essentially say, well, you owe me my severance. But, you know, you mentioned that you had found a job and quit. And you, um, if you've heard us on the show talk about mitigation many times, the issue becomes that, well, the money you're earning from your new job is reducing how much money your employer is owing to you. So there does sound like there's a case here whether okay. the value makes sense to pursue, how long were you there for? At that previous job, I think it was two to three years, not very long. Yeah. Yeah. Really, I mean, I, if, if I were to suggest if you really wanted to pursue this, this is probably not something that makes sense to do with a lawyer or a paralegal because the cost is going to outweigh the value to you. But there are right. avenues for employees to do this themselves. And that avenue is a Ministry of Labor complaint. You can file a complaint basically just alleging what you just told me. They were going to increase my workload by 25% and they refused to increase my pay in any way. Uh, mm -hmm. And I believe they were going to force me to work unpaid hours through by not paying me overtime. So I left and I believe that's constructive dismissal. They will conduct a very straightforward, quick investigation, talk to you, talk to the employer, and then render a decision. And if that decision goes your way, you're going to get your minimum entitlements under that act. So if you were there for two years, you know, it's not going to be a massive, but it will be a couple of weeks. You were there for three years, it'll be three weeks. Uh, and the, the real upside of this, uh, of this particular avenue is that nothing, even if you're wrong, you can never owe the company money. Unlike in court where if you lose, you would owe the company potentially some uh, legal fees. In this type of venue, you can never owe them any money for their legal fees. So it's really a no-risk proposition why I encourage clients uh, or individuals who are in your situation where it's really, you know, it doesn't make sense to pursue through the more costly avenues, but this one, you know, especially if you want to try to stick it to the employer, makes a lot of sense. Okay. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Thanks, Dennis. Thank appreciate you. that. You want a uh, further conversation with Stan, get some more details, hammer that out. Yeah, you're always uh, welcome to do so, encouraged to do so. one 821 5900 Short break. Back into more email. Tamara, thank you so much for reaching out through email. That is uh, yours is coming up next. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. And it's the Employment Law Show rolls on. Hang on. All righty, we're back at it. Employment Law Show, John Scholes here. And, of course, Stan Fanselberg's your guy. Sam Firu, Tamark, and LLP. Reach out any time to the uh, – most positively reviewed law firm in the country, right? How do you get a hold of Stan? one 821 5900 if you prefer a quick email, help at employmentlawyer.ca. And the website's always there for your use. It's anonymous, of course. You'll have access to the severance calculator and so many more things you can learn at pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. But here and now, uh, let's get down to Tamara, as promised. Tamara says, guys, how do I know if I've been wrongfully dismissed, wrongfully terminated, and am uh, entitled to some money? What do you say? Uh, well, the easiest way to know is to ask whether you're still employed, because if you're not employed, you're likely been terminated and you're owed something. But, you know, I think the heart of this question lies is that you know, a lot of people get this concept of wrongful termination or wrongful dismissal or wrongful dismissal damages confused, thinking that, well, my employer just let me go. They didn't do anything wrongful. You know, they had, they mm -hmm. had to restructure. Their business wasn't doing well, so they had to let me go. It wasn't their fault. And that's not what wrongful dismissal or wrongful termination means. All a wrongful dismissal means in legal terms is that they've 
breached your contract, which a termination is always a breach of an employment contract. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you've stopped providing that person with work and money. That's a breach of the contract. Uh, and they're not providing you with what your legal entitlements are. That's all the term means. It's not that we're saying an employer did something terrible to you. We're just saying, hey, that employer's not paying you enough. Your entitlements amount to X and, and they're at Y and they owe you, you know, a few more thousand dollars or whatever that number is. That's all the term means. And, and that's why people get so confused. So, Tamara, really, as long as you've been let go, if you're no longer employed, you've very likely been wrongfully dismissed and you're entitled to something. So give us a call. And again, tomorrow, like I just mentioned, if you, you want to make sure from a uh, dollar perspective, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca, use a severance calculator, type in about uh, five seconds worth of anonymous information, and the number it spits out at the bottom will probably not match what you've been offered. So uh, have a good look at that for sure. Uh, a couple more calls coming in. We'll just get to those in a moment. Down to Mikey here says, guys, had an argument with my boss that I would go off and get migraine headaches looked at. Was off for five weeks. When I came back, he sent me to his other business in another town, which wasn't our original agreement. When I protested, he said it was his business and he can do whatever he wants. Is that true? Uh, in this circumstance, it definitely isn't true, John. Um, there's a number of things going on here. So number one, you have a person who's taking a medical leave of absence due to a medical disability, the migraine headaches, and that affords that individual certain protections. You know, the, one of the protections is under the ESA, when they come back, you have to give them their job. And only if their job is no longer available, that's when you can try to find a comparable other job. So the first question is, why can't this person, Mike, have his old job back? Uh, if there's no good reason for that, well, that's discrimination. That's a violation of the Human Rights Code and a violation of that ESA provision I literally just uh, mentioned. Yeah. The second uh, thing that's going on here is he's making him which locations. Uh, and this comes down, you know, this you would analyze through the framework of a constructive dismissal. And you have to determine, okay, is this a fundamental breach? And so really in this, in this kind of context, what we're talking about is how long of a distance are we, t- is, is he making you drive or is he making you go to a different location? You know, it's one thing to say, okay, I own, a, you know, I, I have a business, two businesses in a the town, they do the exact same, uh, type of business or type of work, and I need you to go do the same work you're doing at business A, at business B, which is a five kilometer drive away. That very, very, very likely is not going to be a constructive dismissal. It's not enough of an imposition, and it's not a fundamental breach. But if you're talking about that, hey, you know, uh, Mike lives in Scarborough, he drives to uh, he drives to Markham every day for work, and now the boss is saying, I need you to drive to Guelph, Another hour or two, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, if we're talking about adding, you know, an hour, two hours every day to somebody's commute, now you're starting to get into constructive dismissal territory because, you know, from, from the employee's perspective, why they have to accept that? That's not what they agreed to. They agreed to drive half an hour a day. And now you're saying, no, I need you to drive another uh, hour on top of the half an hour or another two hours on top of that half an hour. That, to me, is a fundamental breach of that agreement, the original agreement, and that's a constructive dismissal as well. You know, it's interesting when you talk about the constructive dismissal angle with, you know, change of location. It, it's more of a time thing, isn't it, Stan, rather than distance. I mean, if you and I worked at the same place and, you know, you drove there in 30, but I took four buses that took me an hour and a half, 
if they doubled the distance, eh, it might it might inconvenience you by 15 minutes, but it might add an hour and a half on top of my already long commute. So that would be that would be a different metric, yeah. 100%, John, because at the end of the day, it's, it's about the individual we're talking about and that yeah. person in their circumstances. So, you know, if that person doesn't have a license and maybe if they did, it would only be an extra five minutes. But guess what? They don't. They don't drive. That's the employer you're dealing with. That's the employer you're asking to shift to this other location. And that's the analysis that we undertake in that situation. Or, you know, if you have an individual who's much older. Maybe the distance becomes, uh, even if it's a shorter distance, becomes unreasonable because a person in their 70s, you know, for understandable reasons, has a lot less incentive or and a lot less want to do that type of commute that they never, frankly, agreed to do in the first place. Let's get on to Janice quickly before we get into another phone call. Says, uh, I am six months pregnant and my company just terminated me. I was a very high performer, but things seemed to change after I told them I was pregnant a couple months ago. And all of a sudden, I'm terminated. How do I prove that they terminated because of the pregnancy and my request for an 18-month maternity leave? Wow. Mm-hmm. It, as you know, as I'm sure Janice kind of point alludes to, it's a very thing, hard, dif- difficult thing to prove. You know, it's not like employers are dumb enough these days to say it outright. Hey, I don't want you here, Janice, because you're pregnant and you're going to be gone for the next 18 months, and we need someone here. Uh, so. You can't really expect to find that smoking gun these days, in my in my view. But luckily, that's not how the question is framed from a legal perspective. That's not how the human rights code works. Because the test for discrimination is actually just a very simple two-part test. And it basically is something along the lines of, number one, have you been treated differently based on grounds enumerated in the human rights code, like pregnancy? So clearly the answer to this is yes. Janice has been let go and she's pregnant. She's saying it's because she's pregnant. That alone creates a prima facie basis to allege discrimination. And then the onus shifts to the company to essentially prove they're the ones who have to prove it, right? They are the ones who who have to prove that they didn't discriminate you against you and did this for other reasons other than pregnancy. So, you know, presumably if there was another reason, and I don't know what that reason is here, but it should be easily provable by the company. You know, we didn't get rid of her because of that, uh, pregnancy. We got rid of her because we had, you know, our our expenses are too high. Uh, we eliminate her department. Or, you know, the boss said we got to get rid of 10 people, and we she was one of the people for these reasons. And, you know, even something like we got rid of her because we, she was making too much money. You know, that, that leaves a very... <laughs> Poor taste in everyone's yeah. mouth, and yeah. is uh, you know is morally questionable. But legally speaking, yeah, you can say that, and that's not discrimination because it's not one of the grounds that the human rights code talks about. So you don't have to prove it, is what I'm saying, Janice. You you can just make that allegation and make them prove the opposite. Janice, we really appreciate the call. I want to take a bit of an early break here because I want to get, give Hullet his, uh, his proper time on air because he's got a couple issues, Stan. So we'll do that and get back to Hullet's phone call. We'll continue with more of the Employment Law Show. Hang in there. And we're back. Still some time to go with the Employment Law Show. Hullet, thank you so much for uh, waiting in the wings, pal. How are you this morning? I am very well. First of all, thank you so much for this great show. I've been listening for several years. And thank you. That I really refer lots of people, but I have never imagined that I'll be calling to ask for an advice. But again, sure. thank you so much. You bet. Go ahead. Two, two points. Um, I work for a non-profit. 
space, we uh, noticed that there is a security camera at the entrance. We work out of an office in a condo, and it was a little bit uh, odd uh, that when we noticed that camera, no one informed us. And uh, a bunch of my colleagues were really a little bit not sure, and some of them upset. So how we deal in this situation? Sorry, so I had a hard time hearing. You're saying there's a security camera that's uh, facing you in the office. Yes, all of a sudden we noticed that one morning when we were signing in. And we didn't know about mm. that before. What oh, it was new. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's new. Well, there was some... Uh, there were some laws changed related to this issue, actually, by the government several years ago. And essentially what that provided for is that an employer is allowed to monitor employees, including with security cameras, as long as they're in you know, high traffic areas. We're not talking about bathrooms or something crazy. Uh, and as long as you know the employees are aware of them and it's not being done without their consent. Now, I understand they were implemented without your consent, but they don't necessarily need that. Uh, as long as you know about them and they're not filming you essentially clandestinely, then unfortunately the employer is allowed to monitor the workplace and install these types of security features. Even though if these uh, cameras are connected to a private phone, not a business issued phone, well, it's probably what you're referring to is it's, it works through an app that mm -hmm. I'm guessing the owner has on his phone. Yeah. Uh, the app would have its own security features, presumably. And yeah. what, you know, whether it's secure or not is kind of a different question. Uh, but I don't think that that's a question that necessarily applies to you. Because really, as I say, the law does allow the employee to mo uh, employer to monitor employees through this type of video uh, surveillance if they choose to. And even though it's being, you know, he, he, he's doing it through an app on his phone, I don't really see an issue there particularly. You know, if there were a breach and there was, you know, information that was stolen, or then, yeah, then there could be issues around privacy. But presuming this is an app and, you know, they've probably met their security hurdles, the regulatory hurdles, they have, uh, I'm sure, security measures in place. I, I don't see the issue with that in particular. Okay. Um, okay, thank you so much. The other point is, uh, we were hired, mm -hmm. uh, my colleague and I were hired several years ago, mm -hmm. and when we were hired, we signed only one page of uh, a contract and job description and everything. When a new management mm -hmm. uh, came in, uh, they just handed us a 10-page uh, mm -hmm. job description, and it seems that they put everything uh, on us except for cleaning. What do you think? Okay. Well, the question is, did that job description change your job? Because if all it did, you know, if the first job description, let's say, when you were hired a long time ago, they didn't know what exactly you were going to do. They weren't exactly sure of which tasks were, they were going to assign to which employees. So they had a bare bones job description. But then over the years, you know, you're doing certain things that even if there's not an oral contract or a written job description that describes, hey, this is part of your job, if you do a task, know, over and over uh, throughout years, weeks, months, what have you, it just becomes part of your job at some mm -hmm. point. And so if the new job description is just a more detailed outline of all the things that you already do, then that's fine because they're not changing anything. 
if the new job description is adding a whole bunch of new stuff to your employment that you that you've never done before and assuming it's significant then that could be a breach of your contract and amount to a constructive dismissal mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay so uh um, maybe, yeah. yeah, maybe okay. send both of them over, Halid, to uh, to Stan. Let him have a look at both of those and, and do a comparison. You know what I mean? The original, mm -hmm. if you got Absolutely. it, and the uh, and the updated one for sure. You know what I mean? That's a good idea. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. So uh, much. Thank you, Halid. Appreciate for uh, appreciate you tuning thank in all you. this time. And here's the uh, here's the contact information, which I'm sure you've got down already. But uh, to reach out to Stan afterwards, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. And for that contract, you want to motor that over. Help at employment lawyer. Yeah, that camera thing's interesting too because we've uh, we've had you know plenty of calls throughout the years, uh, Stan, about truck drivers doing the same thing. You know, I was driving this truck for years, no problem. Now all of a sudden, the you know the owner of the company has thrown these cameras that just that point at us all day when we're on the road. Can they legally do that? We've had that question before too, right? Same thing applies. No. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In another context that this is really exploded in is in terms of remote workers, right, and mm -hmm. having their work tracked through either some sort of keystroke app or even monitored directly through a camera that's built into the laptop. Yeah. And again, as long as these are being done, you know, very transparently, uh, there's really no reason an employer can't do it because really all they're doing is making sure that you're doing your job. And yeah. so if you're doing your job, then what's the problem, right? And most, you know, most times the problem is, you know, and notwithstanding, and I understand nobody wants to be monitored. Obviously, sure. I would never want that either. But, you know, if a person's not physically there like they are in a workplace where you, you know, this is why we have supervisors and managers. They're there to manage and supervise the other employees and report back to management. So when they're not in, able to do that because the setting doesn't provide for it, either in a truck or working remotely, these are just alternatives to something that every employee already agrees to, which is that the employer and monitor them doing their jobs. Yeah. Yeah, I guess the camera just makes it feel like squid game, right? Like you just you're always being under the the watchful eye. I guess that's that's the difference. It's not passive with <laughs> with a manager. Well, right? the dis <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, the dystopian technological aspect. I get that. And I, yeah. like I said, nobody wants this. I don't no employee that I know wants this. I wouldn't want this, but I understand why an employer does. And hey, I mean, this is one of those things that is not a legal issue. It's mm -hmm. a negotiation bargaining issue you don't like the situation you need to take the initiative to find a situation you do like and if that means leaving your employer for somewhere else where this isn't going on then that is the appropriate uh, remedy here let's get to one more quick email our last minute of the show Ada says i was recently terminated but told that i have to stay and work until the end of next may do i have to stay at this point it seems unbearable unbearable to me to work for a company that has terminated me already or at least it's coming up yeah, uh, you know, I get it. Every just like no one wants to be martyred at, at work, uh, nobody wants to work out the working notice period. Nobody wants to stick around when they know their job is ending. But the reality is that our laws provide employers with this uh, with this option, this option to give you working notice. Because again, the purpose of employment law in general is to give an individual time. Uh, knowing that their job is ending to go and find another job. Mm. And and most of the times that's done through money. Hey, we don't want you around because you might cause problems. So instead of giving you that time, we're just going to pay you that money. But sometimes they do give you the working notice, the actual time to find that job. And 
that is legally provided for. And unfortunately, at it, there's not much you can do about it. And with that, we are done for another show. Your emails, thank you. Your phone calls, thank you. And continue to send those along to stanhelp at employmentlawyer.ca is the route to do that. And I'll give you the phone number, one 821 5900 And I'll always consult pocketemploymentlawyer.ca as well. We'll catch you next time right here on the Employment Law Show. Enjoy the rest of your day.